Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Mr. Smith, what I'd like you to do is take these antibiotics and within a few days you should be feeling a lot better. Okay, off you go now. Okay. Next, please. Do you find that no matter how hard you try, you just can't stick to time in your consultations? Or have you managed to stop yourself from running late by adding several unpaid catch-up slots? Or maybe you can stick to time, but only because you compromise on important aspects that you wish you could cover. This is Primary Care UK, the podcast for all frontline clinical staff in primary care. I'm Munir Adam, and I'd like to welcome you to a new series of episodes where we will be looking at the issue of timekeeping and consultations. In the first episode, I make the case for why I believe there often just isn't enough time, why we are where we are, and what some of the challenges and issues relating to this might be. So if you provide consultations in primary care, and unless your timekeeping is absolutely perfect, this episode is for you. So let's get straight into it. Ask yourself this question. Do I have enough time to do my consultation to the high standards expected of me? This means the right pace, being truly patient-centred, covering all the requirements expected of you from your regulatory body and royal college, doing whatever needs doing, for example, history, examination, investigations, documenting, etc., and having time to consider anything important, time to reflect on that, safety netting and so on and being in the right frame of mind to then call your next patient after that. If yes, you're either superhuman, or you're blessed with the right amount of time for consultations, which is great. And if you want to listen to one of the other episodes that we provide in this podcast, great, go ahead. But remember, the question is about providing a high-quality consultation, and not just managing. You know, these are two very different things. Or are you someone who finds timekeeping a challenge in consultations? Do you start to doubt yourself when you can't stick to time? Do you just soldier on and pretend it's all okay? Or do you kid yourself that you're doing a good consultation, but when you know you haven't, so to speak, given the patient their money's worth? I mean, ask yourself this. When the patient leaves, would you be happy if the roles were reversed and you were the patient? Cutting corners, being rushed, taking risks, running late, the burnout that may result, feeling bad at first when you don't provide the high quality of care that you want to, but then actually getting to a point where you don't care anymore? Worse still, have you made mistakes and ended up in trouble because you were rushed? Or perhaps you lost your cool because you're running late and a patient was just, you know, demanding your time? Or did you leave and take up something else, working somewhere else where you were given more time? And think about what impact that would have on the place that you left. And what are the consequences of all of this? Well, your health may suffer. Patient care may suffer. The practice or primary care network may suffer with understaffing. And the NHS and primary care as a whole may suffer if people don't choose to work there and choose other options instead, like working in the private sector, for example. And so the question is, how much time do clinicians get? For a long time, the 10 minute has been the standard. And I would say that's been the case for two or three decades, and it's an unwritten standard. 
and it's what the normal GP consultation is thought of as. And the reason I say unwritten is because nobody actually says that a GP consultation should be 10 minutes. The GMC doesn't say that. Royal College doesn't say that. And in fact, nobody out there says that. It's just the way it's always been. And although the Royal College of GP exam uh, where which GP trainees have to take was 10 minutes in the CSA exam, which was until a couple of years ago, that was never to say that in the real world a GP should necessarily be able to manage in 10 minutes. Indeed, I am aware of senior figures within the Royal College making a case for why there should be more time available in consultations. And so with this standard of 10 minutes, it's often been the case that practice nurses have been given 15 minutes because the task is different, the role is different, and let's face it, the pay is different. And so if you're a PA or a clinical pharmacist, etc., depending on the pay and your role, you may be given correspondingly longer. But essentially the point here is that the 10 minute is the baseline. I worked in about 60 different practices across the UK and various out of our services across the UK as well. And I worked as a locum for over two years before working in two partnerships and then as a salary GP. And I can say that by far the commonest model was the 10 minute one. For example, I used to regularly do shifts in out of our services for six hours, always with a full 36 patients to get through. In one place, the appointments were 15 minutes by default. But on the other hand, there was an emergency clinic that I did for some time where appointments were three-minute slots. Yes, that's three minutes from one patient to the next. Thankfully, there does appear to be a gradual increase with more and more of us doing 15-minute slots as a standard, at least in some regions, and many out-of-hour services no longer expect more than four patients per hour. But the 10-minute model is still very much holding strong in primary care. Nurses often have 15 minutes, though if you're a CP. PA, FCP, or otherwise new to general practice, you may have a little longer. But these are, of course, generalizations, and it varies a lot from one place to another. What's important really is how long do you get compared to how long you actually need. So how long do clinicians need? Well, that, of course, depends on multiple factors. Patient factors, such as their language and other communication barriers they may or may not have. Clinical factors, such as the complexity of their conditions, multimorbidity, mental health factors, and so on. Clinicians' factors, like how resourceful you might feel in any particular day, your clinical competence, your attitude to risk, and your style of consulting. It also depends on expectations, expectations from patients, for example, from our workplace, from regulatory bodies, and from society at large. But I can tell you that the standard of 10 minutes for a consultation is just not enough, regardless of the profession and regardless of the setting. So let me ask you a question. How much teaching did you receive in consultation skills? Hopefully a fair amount, yeah? We want to provide high-quality consultations. My view is that the UK is way ahead of so many other nations in this respect. I'm proud of being in a nation and providing primary care, you know, in a place where consultation skills and the care that we provide patients and ensuring their satisfaction, compliance, understanding and involvement is given priority. That's a great thing, all in favour of it. But now answer this. How much training did you get on finishing on time? You see, there's lots of research being done on consultation skills, 
there are various consultation models that have been developed. A lot of this was done with the GP consultation in mind because that was the most common. However, I would say the principles and uh, the messages do apply to all of the professions working in primary care to a very large extent. And it's all about providing high quality care. The problem is time. It just seems impossible to do everything that's expected within the limited time available. One might ask the question, are longer consultations likely to improve outcomes like satisfaction, compliance and clinical markers? Perhaps. The limited research on this shows conflicting results. You may have read about leaders talking about the need for longer appointments to be 15 minutes or more and how this might ease stress. But not everybody is convinced that there should be an increased amount of time available for consultations. And some may refer to the Parkinson's law, the idea that work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. And so in the clinical setting, this may mean providing effectively the same amount of care, but just taking longer to do it, i.e. working less efficiently. Certainly there is some truth in that. And so even if you give me an hour to spend with each patient, I'll find a way of filling that time with conversation. And perhaps the patient will discuss concerns about their health, which would have just resolved. But this doesn't negate the fact many of us feel that we don't have adequate time to even address one problem properly. Then there are those who dismiss this argument by claiming that it's not the consultation time that counts, but actually it's the quality and not the quantity that matters. I would say that's irrational. Yes, it's true that quality is extremely important. But to say that quantity doesn't matter simply is untrue. Otherwise, we'd all be doing consultations in 10 seconds, wouldn't we? And actually, it's about finding the optimal consultation length. Now, we have included a few links in the episode description for those who want to find out a little bit more about some of the research. But I think fair to say that there has been an apathy of research in this area. And the bottom line is this. A lot of otherwise competent and fully trained and sometimes very experienced clinicians are unable to do everything expected of them and complete the consultation to a high quality in the time available to them. Two decades ago of working as a doctor with vast experience across the UK, receiving a merit in consultation skills, passionately learning from excellent consultation skill guides, such as the inner consultation by Roger Neighbour, which I was really fascinated by and I still refer back to it, and critiquing others' consultation skills in my training roles, and being a good reflector. All of this has allowed me to enjoy providing better quality consultations to my patients. But what it hasn't done is allowed me to complete the consultation within 10 minutes. Now, some consultations definitely need to be longer than others. And one might say, why don't we just average it out and perhaps 10 minutes then is enough. But I'm not so sure about that. I'm thinking back to a video that I came across several years ago provided by the Royal College of General Practitioners, and it was about the case of urinary tract infection. Now, to many of us, this will be seen as a straightforward consultation and the kind of consultation that will allow us to actually catch up. But what that teaching video showed was, in fact, that if you want to complete a consultation properly, fulfilling all of the requirements, then even a case like this does require 10 minutes. I think that we get so used to missing out things that we forget just what is required to provide a high-quality consultation for even what might seem straightforward presentations. Now, everything that I've said, it's about me, isn't it? It's my view. I feel I can't finish within 10 minutes consistently. You may be able to. Even if we accept 
that this is a problem that only affects a proportion of us. The fact that it does, does that not prove the case that there is a major problem which needs urgently to be addressed? If anyone can't see the obvious ridiculousness of having a 20-minute job to do in 10 minutes, the irrationality of that, let's just spell it out a little. It's so unnatural. Running late affects user satisfaction, increases anxiety. The organization that looks disorganized when you're running late, there is risk-taking, cutting corners, the consultation becomes transactional, and so on. Okay, so why has this all come about? Now, I don't really want to spend too long on this because I believe that we are where we are. But come with me on a trip down memory lane. When I was a child and I used to fall ill, then my parents would take me to our local family doctor and there was a small consultation room. And when we'd go in, the receptionist, almost always the same person, would immediately recognize my parents, say, greet us. And we would sit in a room which probably had capacity for about 15 people at best. When we were called by the GP, it would take about six or seven steps at most to enter that room, regardless of where we were in the waiting area. We'd go in, have our consultation, the doctor would ask us a few questions, make a few scribbles on the Lloyd George notes, and often give us antibiotics. He was happy, we were happy, and we left. And then within a few moments, the receptionist would send in the next person. And as many of you will know, the notes in those days were very brief, often illegible, and other than a pharmacist, most people couldn't decipher what was written. And also, there was no need for the GP to take a full consultation history from us because it was always the same doctor and you get to know the families that are registered with you. Ah, the good old days, some might say. But so much has changed now. Practices are much larger with lots of different clinical staff. And I am not exaggerating when I say that 5 to 10% of the consultation time I have available is wasted with the patient just trying to find the room where I am based. And this isn't just because the room is much further and, uh, you know, it would take 20 or 30 steps to reach, but maybe it's because of uh, hearing, poor vision, confusion, and it wouldn't be as straightforward and easy for a receptionist to direct them to my room. So my point is, the patient hasn't even yet entered the consultation room and I'm already losing time. You know, I sometimes like to use the example of a car journey. Back in the day, I know I could travel from A to B quite easily in the car. A journey that might only take a few minutes today takes a lot longer. Why? Because of more speed limits. Uh, those of you in cities and other built-up areas may be aware of the increasing restriction with 20 mile an hour speed limits, the various speed humps, uh, lots of road closures, narrower roads to allow space for cyclists, etc. And so a journey that used to take me three minutes now takes seven. Now, if you're going to force me to undertake the same journey in three minutes, what's going to happen? I'm either going to have to drive very fast and break the speed limit, take risks, possibly hurt myself, get stressed. Let me ask you another direct question. Can you think of anything you have learned in training or research about why we don't always provide the high quality of care that we'd like to? Interesting question, isn't it? I mean, there's lots about what we should or shouldn't do, but very little about why we may or may not do or be able to do those things. Now, time is the obvious factor, and it's what we're talking about today. But there are other reasons as well. And perhaps if we research that, we may start to appreciate the challenges that we face and find solutions that make us better healthcare professionals, right? 
Now, coming back to the issue of time, we could spend hours talking about the rising expectations upon us, how computers, which were supposed to help us, seem to make us busier, how technology around us, well, more recently, the increased access to patient records and whether that's going to make us a bit more hesitant and therefore spending more time with consultations, who knows, how litigation and the fear of this leads to defensive medicine and perhaps increased documentation, the issue with language barriers, etc., But much of this is beyond our control. Or we could talk about the business model that general practice is based on and think about how increasing the appointment from 10 minutes to 15 minutes would be a 50% increase in cost if we're thinking about the staffing required. And that obviously would lead to reduced profit. But the expectations on practices are now much, much higher than they once were. So of course more income is needed for this. And profit could be higher, should be higher, I would say because there's so much more the practice has to contend with. If you're an employee, you may be tempted to blame the practice for not giving you additional consultation time. You might suggest that their profit margins should be less. It's only money after all, right? Well, let me ask you, what would you say if the practice gave you 50% more time, but proportionately less salary? That wouldn't be accepted, would it? Certainly, I wouldn't be happy with that arrangement. What if the practice contract was such that practices pay was based on duration of consultation rather than the number of consultations that they provided. That might help. There is much that can be done to improve the system and make it more efficient in that sense. So where do we go from here? Well, the first thing to say is this isn't new. Um, Everybody's aware of the limited time that we have available and efforts have been made to try and help us manage the workload better and in less time. But it's often unrealistic. And what I found is that the advice given is, has often proved to be counterproductive. Why? Because although it's given in the guise of being more efficient, it's often about improving quality, which that ends up taking even more time. And then practices have been responding to the challenge, adjusting staffing levels to increase time available, mixing appointment lengths based on the type of problems, etc. And in some cases, that really is helping. But if we go back to the urinary tract infection example, we can see that 10 minutes is the bare minimum for any consultation if we want to do it properly. And the real problem with differential appointment times and setting up a system like this is simply this, that patients often do not know how long they're going to need until the consultation is underway. I have no shortage of examples where patients have come in for an apparently very straightforward problem and neither they nor me knew that the consultation is actually going to need to be significantly longer. You know, we are dealing with human beings here, not robots. So anyway, is 15 minutes enough? Well, I would say probably 15 minutes as a baseline is probably enough for now. But for how long? And why are we always so reactive rather than being proactive? Why are we always begging for a little extra time to stop us collapsing? My opinion is that 15 minutes is okay for now, but it won't be okay in a few years' time, as expectations and the scrutiny that we face continue to rise. So, do we need research onto this? Yes. Does the system need to change? Yes. What can I do to change the system? Well, that depends. Perhaps you can influence your workplace, the local integrated care system, or others, For example, through the royal colleges, trade unions and others. But even if you don't have much influence, there may be still some small things you can do to save time. And we'll be looking more into this in the next episode. So, in conclusion, 
I am convinced that we have a problem with consultation length, that the situation is urgent, that this area has been neglected in research, and that enough is enough. I've shared a few points on why we are where we are, how things have evolved, and that we all need to use whatever influence we can to change things for the better. Do I know who we should blame for this? No, I certainly don't. Other than to say that the system needs changing. But something that we can all do is raise awareness of the problem and to share ideas for what might help. And this is why I started this series. And you can be part of the action by promoting this to as many of your friends as you can. But how do you feel about all of that? Do you agree with me even? Or do you believe I've got it all wrong? We really do value your feedback and suggestions, which you can provide, by the way, by following the link in the episode description. The thing is, I don't pretend that I understand this any better than any of you out there. And it's just my experience and my views that I've shared. If you're feeling invigorated with a renewed enthusiasm to use your power to do something about this, because you do agree that there's an issue, that's great. And conversely, if you feel that you do agree, but there's very little you feel that you can do right now, and that you just have to get on with it, you might want to know how you can manage your time better in consultation. And that's what the next episode will be about. Finally, remember, as a clinician in primary care, you are providing one of the best services to your community. Be proud of that. And the fact that you've listened to this episode means that you have an interest in the consultation process and want to provide it better, which is a good thing. Thank you for joining UK was developed by Therapeutic Reflections Limited to inform, educate, support and unite the primary care workforce. Specifically, it is not for the general public or patients. All information and advice contained therein is time, location and context dependent and is general advice only. No guarantees are provided with respect to the accuracy of the content. The hosts, contributors and the organisations they represent do not accept liability for any actions, consequences or effects that result directly or indirectly from the content provided. Please refer to the episode description for more information. Thank you for listening.